Well, we are looking at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if there is any topic in the Bible that has produced more speculation, it is this topic. There have been people who have made predictions and ideas and they've been in philosophies and and people have bankrupted their accounts proclaiming that Jesus is coming on a certain date. And what's interesting about the Bible is the Bible doesn't give us any hint of a date. The only thing the Bible does is give us signs of the times, things to look for. But beloved, even then, these things, they are beyond our understanding and completeness. For the reality is, the rapture could happen at any moment. And as we look at these very important signs, we see some of them have already taken place, some of them have not taken place, and yet we know that the rapture is imminent. Christ could come at any moment. And so I want to walk us through, this is the question of Christ's return. It's actually brought on by his disciples, and it's brought on by the visiting people of other regions in Jerusalem, looking at the temple going, ooh, and ah. But Jesus is going to take their attention away from all that is temporal and point it towards himself and faith in him, which is eternal. And so we're looking at the question of his return. It's actually a rather lengthy section. We will take two weeks to cover all of it. And we're taking large chunks at a time. The first part of our passage in verses 5 through 9 has already been fulfilled. But then Jesus also explains in verses 10 through 19 the signs of his future return. So we're looking at the downfall of the temple, which is in verses 5 through 9. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, Jesus said, These things which you see, the days will come which not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. So we see here, first of all, the downfall of the temple, and it begins with the wonder. People are walking around, and and these would be the people who are coming from different regions and likely seeing the temple for the first time with their own eyes. And, And it's just a sight to behold. It was the center of the whole city, and everything revolved around the temple in Jerusalem. And we've already seen how there were those who were defiling the temple with, with the sale of, of, of animals for sacrifice at extraordinary amounts of money for making the, the priests and the Pharisees rich. And Jesus has cleansed the temple. Now he himself has replaced all of that. He has been in the temple every day. And today, in this part of our text, is no exception. He's in the temple court, and those in the crowd, they're coming around, they're looking at how the temple is adorned. And the word adorned means to make something beautiful with, ex, with, with uh, decorations, is the best way of putting it. And the donations are the gifts given to the temple to make it uh, stand out. And so, we, we do this on our own day, don't we? 
We, we work on our house, we, we do things on the inside and the outside, we take pictures, put it on Facebook, and, and we, we look for those likes. We look for the shares. Hey, look, look at this, look at how nice this looks. Ooh, ah, good job. Well, the, the temple was the same, same thing. People would come in and they'd just be amazed because the temple was supposed to stand out among every other dwelling place in the city. It was God's house. And it was to be done with excellence. Well, Jesus then turns around, and he's the one who creates the wonder, because he says, this place is going to be thrown down and destroyed. Not one stone will stand. Can you imagine the twisted looks that people gave to Jesus? We're here enjoying the temple. Why are you telling us it's going to be destroyed? Well, because it's going to be destroyed. And everything that they see in the temple is not going to last. Now, of course, we know this took place in AD 70 when Rome came in and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And, it, and from that time on, the, the, Jerusalem has never recovered. Israel, this, the nation of Israel has never recovered. And Jesus speaks of this as an utter destruction because with the words thrown down, it speaks of to destroy completely by tearing down and dismantling. The temple is going to be utterly destroyed. And we know that's exactly what took place to the point where there is now uh, a mosque on that that ground. So destroyed was it that they could build a whole new building there. And so uh, you see that Jesus, by the way, has already made this statement, and, and not just once, but several times. Just the most recent one before this, Luke 19, 43 and 44. He speaks of Jerusalem, where, where the enemies will come upon them and build an embankment around her, surrounding her and closing it on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. In that text, Jesus is focusing on the fact that they should have known he was coming and they did not know. And this text is very different. This is, we are, we are coming to the, to the signs of the times, the end times is the beginning of the end, and he speaks of the destruction of the temple. And he moves from the, war, the wonder to the warning in verses 7 through 9. And of course, the question on everyone's mind is, well, when is this going to happen? Isn't that just human nature? We, we, we're told some sort of secret, and we want to know when. We want the details. Give us a skinny. And it's just human nature. In fact, the disciples do the exact same thing when Jesus is resurrected, and he's about to ascend, and they say, hey, are you now going to establish the kingdom? And he says, look, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. And he says, it's, it's for the Father who has put his own authority for not you to know these times and seasons. But we have the same impulses today. So we have a war in Eastern Europe. And all of a sudden, all these prophecy guys are coming out of the woodwork. They're talking about Gog and Magog, the battles. The, you know, great, if you don't know what that means, you just need to read the Old Testament prophets and you'll see Gog and Magog. Uh, you, we hear all, the, all these talks about, uh, you know, is Putin the Antichrist? I don't know. And neither do they. But it's it, it just human nature, right? Speculation. We need to know. We want to try to put things together. But we do know this. We see our world growing more and more chaotic. And we see the world growing further and further away from godly things. Which is telling us this. The time is growing near. When? I have no clue. 
It's not for us to know. But the reality is, it's on a worldwide scale. It's not localized. We see the things happening in America that are happening in France, Germany, Russia, Ukraine, Japan, Australia. They're everywhere. They are everywhere. And so the time, it is coming. And so it's not our job to know when, though. Beloved, it is our job to be prepared to do the job that Christ gave to us before he left, which is to go and to make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them in everything that he has taught us so that we can be faithful and that he gets the glory. So it's not so much about knowing when Christ is coming back. No man knows. We'll talk about that in a moment. No man knows. It's about making sure that we are prepared to do the work that God has given to us. And so rather than giving a specific time, what Jesus does, he gives them actions to take. Take heed. He doesn't say, oh, I'll, I'll tell you, when, when these stars align and, and these people come into power, or, or when, when, no, he doesn't do any of that. He says, you just need to beware. And, and, the, and the reason that they're supposed to beware is because there's going to be people coming in his name, saying, I'm the Messiah, and people who are saying, hey, the time, it's coming, it's right around the corner. And he says, don't go after those people. They are deceivers. And the word deceive means to cause to wander off the path, to hold the wrong view. That's sort of a play on words of the narrow road. They're trying to get you off of the narrow road onto the broad path. And they think they're doing God's work. They do. But they themselves are deceived, and they go around deceiving others. Now, a distinctive and definite mark of a false teacher is one who says, either, I'm the Messiah, well, we know right off the bat, false teacher. But more lately, what we're seeing is, I know when Jesus Christ is coming back. And we have been seeing that in our time. As early as the 16th century, people were making predictions of Christ's return. A man by the name of William Miller predicted the second coming of Jesus Christ would occur on March 21st, 1844. Well, that date came and went. Oh, I got it wrong, I got it wrong. Posed a secondary date of April 18th, 1844. Again, that date passed, and another man in Miller's camp, his name was Samuel Snow, he determined the date would actually be October 22nd, 1844. False teachers think they're doing the Lord's work. But it's a violation of this very passage. More recently, Chuck Smith predicted Christ would come in 1981. Some of you likely remember uh, the hullabaloo that came with that. But most recently was a man by the name of Harold Camping. And he predicted, and he claimed he had discovered, using numerology in the Bible, the, the date and the time the rapture and judgment day would occur, which would be May 21st, 2011, claiming the rapture would begin at 6 p.m. local time, which was California in his local time, and would sweep westward to east around the globe, course that didn't take place 
Following his, the failure of his prediction, Camping then turned around and said the physical rapture was actually happening October 21st, 2011. We're still here. But beloved, what you need to know is that people in Harold Camping's camp bankrupted their accounts, taking out thousands and thousands of dollars for thousands and thousands of billboards across the country claiming Jesus Christ is coming back on this date. False teachers. It's a mark. And so one thing you will never hear me say is Jesus Christ is coming back on this day. No predictions ever. And the moment I make one, you need to be rebuking me. God has not given any man that insight. Secret knowledge for him and him alone. And so we need to be on the lookout for those who would deceive us. We need to be aware of men like these. The Bible has verses of instructions on this matter. Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. But for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Those who, who make a mockery of God's word, they get God's wrath. There are many empty words, as much as philosophy. Colossians 2, 8. Let no one take you captive. Through philosophy or empty deceits. It's according to the base principles of the world. It's according to men's tradition. And it's not according to Christ. We're to be on our guard, John says in 1 John 4, 1, testing the spirits where they are from God because many false prophets have gone into the world. But rather, we are to obey the commands of 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, the last day, he means, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And so we, we see, again, Paul's giving us a few things that have to happen, but he's saying, don't, don't be looking at all these things to try to determine the time. Be faithful. And the reality is, the, the message of preaching the truth has been going on since John the Baptist. Where he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew 3, 2. But it's also the person of Jesus Christ that we hold to. And he tells the, the Pharisees in John 8, 24, if you do not believe that I am he, the Messiah, you will die in your sins. So we're not to go looking around for anyone else. We're not to worry about when Christ is coming back. We are to be determined to preach that Christ is coming back. That's our focus. That's our emphasis. Jesus wraps up this warning in verse 9 by saying, you're going to hear of commotions. The word commotions, literally, we would refer to it as rebellions and insurrections in our day. Well, hello. Got a little bit of that going on. I mean, you don't hear about this unless you are listening to certain news. But in, in Europe... Uh, there were massive, massive protests in cities like Paris against what the government was doing with vaccines and COVID and all the other things that were going on. Massive protests. Well, that was sort of stifled by the mainstream media here. And so if you didn't have the right outlet, you didn't know that was going on. But I mean, these things are happening around the world. And certainly you know what happened here in our, in our country. But this speaks of resistance against the government. And we don't tend to think of us being good American citizens resisting against the government that we think is overreaching as 
end times issues? Well, it could be. I'm not saying it is. not my point. But I am just simply telling you, it's imminent. could happen any moment. But we're not to be terrified, frightened, or alarmed. Jesus says these things must happen. And so, beloved, as your gas prices go up, when your food prices go up, and we see men becoming evil and corrupt, we should be wringing our hands and wondering what's going on. These things must happen. Your Savior predicted that commotions, rebellions, insurrections, and problems and wars and rumors of wars will be taking place 2,000 years ago. He predicted this. We should also recognize that we should also be looking forward to the return of Christ. Looking forward to it. Not predicting it, but certainly looking forward to it. But beloved, let me make this very clear to you. Until that trumpet blasts, And Christ comes with that shout of victory. We have a work to do. There are countless men, women, and children out in our little town of Cortland who do not know the name of Jesus. It's growing more and more common to hear children who come to a vacation Bible school or or who go to a Sunday school for the first time who hear about Jesus Christ and they do not know he's an actual person. They just think that's a curse word that mom and dad use when they hit their thumb with a hammer. And that should cause us great concern. We have work to do. And so we look forward to the return of Christ. We're not fearful. We're not frightened. We're not to be overly concerned with all the things that are happening. We are to be concerned with the Great Commission. For the lost souls of men and women, boys and girls. And we have a God who delights to save souls. So let us work. But second, Jesus then deals with the details of time. In verses 10 through 19. And then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom for which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair on your head shall be lost." By your patience, possess your souls. Jesus gives details of time, but as you see, the emphasis is not on the details of the time. It's on the work that is to be done. And we look, first of all, at the milestones that Jesus is going to give. We'll look at these fairly briefly. And the first milestone he gives is nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So to get a picture of what this is like, we know what's happening in Eastern Europe. And, and what's, what's so tragic about what's happening in Eastern Europe with Russia and, and Ukraine is the innocents who are dying. The homes that are being destroyed because two governments can't get along and decide that one has to have dominance over another. 
But I want you to see that you need to multiply what's happening over there on a grand scale. We're not talking about World War III. We're talking the whole world at war with the whole world. Everyone's at war with everyone. And then you're going to see earthquakes in various places. I mean, we're not talking about you know, little rumblings, even those that take place in California. We're talking about earthquakes that level cities to the ground, like we've seen in Haiti and Japan in years past. Massive earthquakes. You'll see pestilences. Now, they, this is widespread contagious disease, often attributed to divine retribution. Well, we just had one for two years in our country. Does it count? Yeah, it counts. Nothing happens outside of God's allowance. And I said to you many times, are you listening to the sermon God is preaching through this pestilence? Repent. We need to turn back to Him. I don't think our nation got the message. But COVID is only one pestilence. Jesus mentions multiple. Now, how they all come about, whether they're man-made or natural, doesn't matter. Uh, and nothing, no science is going to stop these pestilence. No vaccine. It could be old sicknesses that God rises back up that vaccines don't work against anymore. It could be new ones. It could be man-made ones. It doesn't matter. It's the Lord letting them out to do His work. And then fearful sights and great signs for heaven, from heaven. Now this was a, a rather difficult phrase to unpack. Uh, the fearful sights would be the dreadful occurrences. And, and as far as I can make sense of this, you, you, could, you could talk about any terrible sight. I mean, we have violence in our streets. We've got children targeted for human trafficking. We've got drugs on our, our city corners and our town corners. I would certainly check the box. Is that exactly what Jesus had in mind? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. And then he talks about the signs from heaven. Uh, in, in the Greek, this is uh, specifically a, a sign that's above the sky. Uh, so what it could mean, and some commentators talk about uh, stars falling from the sky. So we're not talking about those little tiny little shooting stars whew, across the night sky. We're talking about flaming balls of fire close to the earth flying by. Again, I'm not exactly sure what Jesus is talking about here. The signs, the great signs from heaven. Others offer different commentations, but in all honesty, I want you to understand my point. I'm not claiming that Jesus Christ is coming back today just because a few of these things we think we can check off in the box. That's not the point. The, the point is that there are enough of these signs present that if the Lord chose, He could come back today. And we need to be ready. We need to be ready in our own hearts. We need to make sure that we are, are right with the Lord. We need Some of us here who are coming to church, we need to be saved. Repent of your sin and turn to the Lord and be saved. And enter into that lifelong relationship then with Christ where He reveals your sin and you continually repent. Some of us are being stubborn. And we have sins that we feed and we pet and we love, they must die. They must be put to death. See, the purpose is not to frighten you that Christ could come back. The purpose is to prepare you. 
And we know that there, are, there is going to be a time where we are going to stand before the Lord and we will give an account. And so are you prepared? See, our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And here's, here's what I want to I make this very clear. We're not, we're not going around looking for signs as the Sadducees and the Pharisees did in Luke 11. Uh, we're, 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 not, we're not out there looking for who the Antichrist is, that's as mentioned in Roman, Revelation 13, 13, who performs great signs. And all the men are, ooh, and all. I, I really am not concerned if I know who the Antichrist is. And I'm not concerned that you know who the Antichrist is. My concern is that we know Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And not just know about Him, we know Him. He alone has gone to the cross, suffered in your place, taken upon Himself the wrath of God, shed His precious blood, for without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin, Hebrews 9.22 says. He shed His precious blood. He lived under the rigors of the law, was perfect. He was a sacrifice, accepting, accepting and pleasing to the to the sight of God on your behalf. And he took your place and suffered your penalty for your sins and he died and God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you and I. No, I don't care if you know who the Antichrist is. I care if you know who Jesus Christ is. And so we must look to him and him alone. You know, it's amazing is you see the Apostle Paul, because Jesus speaks of those who are going to be faithful to the truth and be persecuted. The Apostle Paul, what a conundrum from a human standpoint. Before his conversion, he's out arresting Christians, killing them and putting them in prison. If you listen to Paul's testimony in Acts 22 and Acts 26, he says the, the blood of Stephen was shed by him. He stood by guarding the clothes of those who killed him. And in Acts 26, he says, I punished Christians often in every synagogue, and he compelled them to blaspheme. And he even went out to foreign cities. And of course, on the road to Damascus, that's where God got a hold of Paul. But Jesus is saying that this is going to take place. They are going to lay their hands on you. They're going to persecute you, deliver you up to the synagogues and prison, and you will be brought before kings and rulers for not my name's sake. We will, after the book of Luke, we are going to go right into the book of Acts. Because you have to see how Luke writes. The book of Luke is volume one. book of Acts, volume two. And what's amazing is how you see the words of Christ fulfilled in the lives of the apostles and Christians all throughout the book of Acts. For example, the apostles are in prison in several places in the book of Acts. Well, that's persecution. They're delivered up right here. And so you see as early as Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John are in prison. All 12 are in prison in, John, or in Acts 5.18. The Christians are under the persecution of Paul in Acts 8. Peter's in prison in Acts 12.4. Paul and Silas together in Acts 16.24. And Paul by himself in Acts 24.27. And there's others. So when Jesus tells the apostles, the disciples, that they're going to be arrested, they're going to be persecuted, he wasn't just saying words. He was preparing them. The Bible prepares us as well. 
It's not just a bunch of words on a page. There's meaning to it here. But see, Jesus goes on to say in John 16, 2, that they will put you out of the synagogue. And the reason they're doing that, Jesus says, is because they think they're doing God's service. They, they will be able to sleep at night knowing you're dead because they think God is pleased with their killing you. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says to John, Do not fear any of the things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in the prison, and that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus says, You, are, you who are persevering even through the death and persecution... Persevere, there's a crown of life waiting for you. So, beloved, we are seeing here Jesus is not pointing our eyes to the details of time as much as he is pointing our eyes to the actions we take. We've seen faithful Christian men put in prison at an alarming rate in this century alone. Church historians say that uh, in, in the century of, from the 1900s to the 2000s, there were more Christians persecuted than in the entire history of church history. It's just growing worse and worse. And now look at where we are in 22 years, in this century. It's not getting better. I mean, China's not releasing Christian pastors from prison. North Korea's not going to stop the hunt of Christians. India and Pakistan, they're not changing their policies. The Middle East, they still search out Christian missionaries in certain places in Africa. It's dangerous to be a Christian. It's not getting better. The world persecutes the elect of God. And beloved, it's as close as to Canada right now. Pastors who have been imprisoned for no other... What was their offense? Having church. That was their offense. Having church. It's only a matter of time before it's here. And make no mistake, the groundwork is being laid. (laughs) The groundwork is certainly being laid. So we've seen the milestones. Look now at the mediation that Jesus gives here in verses 13 through 16 where he says, It will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Don't get caught up in all the signs of the times. And don't worry about the persecution and and the people coming after you. Worry about the testimony. Be focused on what you will do in those moments. And, And the beautiful reality is we are not left on our own in these times of persecution. We are not without purpose. Rather, the arrests turn into occasions for testimony. It's an opportunity for witness. That's what Jesus is saying. And it's what Paul's talking about also in Philippians 1, 12 through 14. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, his arrests, him being in prison, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. See, Paul knew there were people who were hearing the gospel because he was in chains that would have never heard the gospel before. And he says, it's become evident to the whole palace guard. Now, how would you like to have Paul as your prisoner? I mean, he's writing in Philippians. And Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice 
always, again I will say, rejoice. He's in jail. Rejoice always. The peace of God will will guard your hearts through Jesus Christ, he says. It surpasses all knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Why? Because he knows this vapor of a life, the persecutions that we have here cannot compare to the measurable glory that awaits us with Christ in heaven. And Jesus explains that they're going to have help in this, these situations. Verse 14, settle it in your hearts not to meditate on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom with all you, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So who's the help? Well, Christ is through his spirit which dwells in you. And so we're not to meditate, which means to plan ahead and with considerable thought and effort what we're going to answer. I, I remember talking to someone about this and, and I forget if it was me or him who said something along, well, we got to be ready with our answer. And we walked away thinking we were really smart. Jesus says, don't, don't busy your time thinking about what you're going to say in the future. You worry about what you speak now. Because I'll put words in your mouth in those moments. I'll give you the umption to speak. And so we have to believe that he will do as he says. See, our, our, our wisdom must come from Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says we have the mind of Christ. We're commanded in, in Philippians 2.5 to have the mind in us, which is also in Christ Jesus. And what was that mind? The first four verses of chapter 2. We're to be unified. And unification in a body this size will never come about if we have to try to be unified by our own efforts. See, by us having the mind of Christ, you having the mind of Christ, and me having the mind of Christ, guess what? We have one mind. And we move forward with the same desires. We'll we'll conflict a little bit, but it'll be minor because we'll seek God's glory. We'll seek that we will be the ones who are unified because we are going to have Christ's mind. We know that, that Christ prayed for unity. Want to be an answer to Christ's prayer? Be unified, church. Put aside petty differences. Put aside your own preferences. And you and I should be unified with the mind of Christ. And so when Jesus says that he will give us wisdom to speak, he means it. And, and these are the moments where you see in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts, where Peter and Paul, they open their mouth, and those who are opposed to them, they have no response. You know, one of the best places you can see that in is, is in Acts chapter 2, where, where Peter gets up and he begins to proclaim the truth to the leaders who killed Jesus. And he says, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified whose blood is on your hands, has risen from the dead. And you know what the leaders didn't do? Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh, here's the body. had no body. And so you see that Peter was given words to speak which the leaders could not refute. 
Beloved, he will do the same for us. He is doing the same. He is doing it for the missionaries and Christians in Ukraine and in Russia. He's doing it for them who are in surrounding countries who are waiting for their, for their government to decide what they're going to do and they're, they're waiting on pins and needles and they're worried. God is giving them words. He will do it for us as well. And, and they will not be able to contradict or resist. They're not going to be able to speak. They're not going to be able to oppose you because the power is coming from Christ. Consider Stephen in Acts 6.10. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, by which Stephen spoke. Why? God filled his mouth just like he filled Moses's in the Exodus and just like he'll fill yours because he's promised to do so in these times. Now, recognize that Jesus is going to say something that's going to be rather frightening and alarming. Those who oppose us are not always going to be faraway statesmen. Mothers and fathers, children, brothers, sisters, relatives, Jesus says, will be those who oppose. And they will put some of you to death. How much do people hate Jesus Christ? They hate Jesus Christ so much that even if you're a family member who they claim to love, they'll kill you to shut you up. Because in all honesty, they love their sin so much more. They love their own lifestyle. See, Christ must be our most precious relationship. And, and I have talked to people who have lost relationships with, with parents and siblings They've lost friendships. They've, their marriage has even struggled because Christ comes first. But Christ is to be our most precious relationship. Now, we, we have to understand that some of us, we, we worry about whether or not our family, they're going to be faithful all their life. That's not your business. That's your prayer. It's not your business. That's their business. It's God's business. Your business is to see that you are faithful all your life. Knowing that Christ is going to come back, knowing that we will give an account, we must be faithful. And I want you to recognize, too, the maintaining that is given here in verses 17 through 19. Jesus says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. Here's what Jesus is teaching here. It's a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. The true saints will persevere. And though all who hate us, their hatred grows, and they hate us not because of us, it's because of Christ. Because we proclaim the truth. And that's where their hatred arises. But God preserves those who are His to the point that not one hair on your head is lost. And it's through patience or endurance that our soul is saved. Jesus teaches this on several occasions. I want to give you many of these verses. Uh, he states in Matthew 10, 22, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. 
Luke 6.22 says, Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast you out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. He goes on to say, Be glad, leap, and jump for joy. What? Why? Because he goes on to say, Your name is in the book of life. Again, when this happens, this is a sign of eternal redemption for the world hates us. And listen, we should not think that they hate us because we're Republicans. They should not hate us because we're conservative or because we're a capitalist or or, or because we're against social justice or the whole woke agenda. We have to make sure they're going to hate us for all of that and that's how they're going to filter it. But listen very carefully. No Republican loves you like Jesus. Your, your devotion and your, your loyalty is not to the Republican Party, which is leaving us very quickly. Your, your allegiance is not to conservatism. Conservatism is being redefined daily. And, and I think what you are going to start seeing is we have no place where we fit in this world. Why? They all hate us because they hate Jesus. And so when I said the foundation is being set, that's what I mean. We will be alone. But if the world is against us and God is for us, what can man do to us? Beloved, we have a job to do. It is twofold from what we see in Jesus' words here. Number one, proclaim the truth so that all men hear the truth and they may be saved. And number two, persevere to the end. Persevere. Jesus speaks in John 10, 28, saying, I have given them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone take them out of my hand. You're in the hand of Christ. You are safe and secure. No one's going to take you out of Christ's hands. Paul goes on to say in in Romans chapter 8, the end of chapter 8, he says, I am convinced, persuaded that nothing will separate us from the love of God, life, death, angels, nothing. Nothing. You are in Christ. And it's through our patience. And that word patience means to bear up under difficult circumstances. That we possess our souls. And that that means to be saved from great danger. Now, don't get the idea that you have to save yourself. It's a figure of speech here. You're saved by Christ alone. But there's a perseverance. There's the fruit of patience and perseverance and bearing up. And we are told to bear one another's burdens. See, God knew what he was doing when he gave us a church. We can't bear our burdens alone. As a testimony of Carl this morning, he had a burden. We bore it with him. Now, we couldn't take the pain from him, but we could certainly give him the encouragement. And so that's one thing when you have an operation that doesn't go the way you want. It's another thing when you're in jail because you preach the truth. It's another thing when your children plot against you because they hate your words, which are words of truth. So the church, we're needed. Bear one another's burdens and persevere. Now, I want you to see that it's, if, if we are faithful to obey God, God is faithful to deliver us. I want to just give you a, a ton of verses. I've, I've put some of the verses out there on the Welcome Center if you want to look at them later. Matthew twenty four thirteen, Jesus says, He who endures to the end shall be saved. 
and, and that perseverance is through difficult circumstances. Romans 2.7, eternal life is to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and mortality. We persevere for God's honor and glory, and the salvation that we receive from Him is what motivates us. Later, Paul wrote in Romans 5.3, we also glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Well, how do we know that we're going to persevere? Well, if you're facing a trial now and you're persevering, praise God, that's His work. But lean into His promises and persevere. Now, we may not like the trials, but don't run scared from them. Because the reality is, Hebrews 10.36 says, you have need for endurance. And here's what the author says, you have need for trials. Because they produce perseverance. James 1.3 says, a testing of your faith produces patience. Our faith is constantly being tested to bring about the bearing up of our souls through faith. And finally, Peter, in 2 Peter 1.6 says, this tells us that perseverance leads to godliness. You want to be godly? It does not come apart from trials. Godliness does not come apart from perseverance, from bearing up under pressure. Now, what perseverance looks like in your life and what your problems and your issues are, it's going to look differently for everybody. It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be relational, but it's there. And we live in a fallen world, beloved. Even when it's not targeting, we're not targeted for for preaching the truth of Christ, guess what we're going to have? Trouble, pain, relationships that go sour, emotions that are out of whack. Because we live in a fallen world. But when we are targeted because we are Christians, persevere. When they threaten to put us in jail for speaking the truth, speak louder. Don't let anyone tell you when you can and cannot speak the gospel. Christ is the only one who gives us that command, and he has already given it. Go, and literally, as you are going, make disciples. Proclaim the truth. He told the disciples to start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, and then to Samaria, and all the parts of the world. Well, guess where we are? We're in the outskirts of the world in that, and we need to continue to go. Christ is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And they will try, they will threaten, they will seek to destroy, and they will kill. But they will not prevail. So for this week... Keep your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus and keep them there. I know we can, we can take the milestones and our tendency is check, 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 check. No, no. Move beyond the milestones. And where Jesus says, you're going to be persecuted. They're going to think they're doing God's work. It's an opportunity for testimony. And people who are close to you are going to turn on you. But persevere. Don't focus on the milestones Focus on the the way that God has provided mediation for us. Don't get caught up in all of the things that are happening down here. Get caught up in the commands Christ has given to us. Secondly, the end is coming, and while no one knows when it's coming, here's what we do know. We're one day closer than yesterday. We're one week closer than last week. 
and we're one year closer than last year. That's all we can say with certainty. And so therefore, we have one less year than last year. One less week than last week. And one less day than yesterday to do the ministry of proclaiming the gospel. Finally, prepare your minds and your hearts for persecution. It is coming. Nobody thought it would come to Canada the way that it did and as fast as it did, but it's there. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's coming. So prepare your hearts and your minds, not for if it comes. Beloved, listen, prepare yourself for when it comes. Now, I might be an old man by the time it officially hits us, but trust me, persecution is here. It's just under the radar, but it won't stay there long. Prepare your hearts and your minds. Get your eyes on Jesus. Keep them there. For he alone has gone to the cross. He alone shed his precious blood. He alone has been resurrected from the dead. And that is why we are here at the table to remember. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and the words of Jesus. And while he is kind to give us some of the, the milestones that will take place, he was also gracious and good to give us our task and what our focus should be. So, Father, may we be obedient and faithful children to go and proclaim the truth to a lost and dying world who loves their sin and is storing up for themselves judgment on the day of wrath. Would you open our mouths, giving us wisdom and a mouth to speak. In Jesus' name I pray.